0: Um, Peter, great to see you and hear from you. Uh, yeah, I just you, saw you were reading
1: something there, Trevor. What, yeah, you just, what you just interrupt,
0: interrupted me. I was reading a wonderful publication. I wouldn't call it bedside reading. Okay. But, uh, but it's very nice to have. And that is uh, Taxpayers' latest uh, humble publication, being an index to articles and editorials in 70 years of the taxpayer. That's from 1952 to oh. 2021. I'm sure most people know well that Maravitz Silk and Spiro started the taxpayer in, in 19, January 1952. There was nothing else like it on the market. They asked Juta to publish it. Juta said sure. they didn't think there'd be a market for it. So they said, okay, we'll take the risk. You just do the admin for us. And they almost immediately had 2,500 subscribers. So
1: Fantastic. This,
0: this, this is an index uh, to the whole thing. And... Uh, the three parts to it. The first is an alphabetical index. So if, it's, if you've got a particular issue that one wants to look at, you look under the alphabetical index. That then cross refers to the taxpayer, but also to um, the chronological index, which goes year by year. And that that chronological index gives the full title of of each entry. So the the um, alphabetical doesn't always give the full title, but that's why it's cross-referred, and you can see whether it's what one wants. And then there's also an index to, to um, external subscribers, uh, which Peter, you and I uh, don't qualify as because we're editors, but we've snuck in through the back door because we've uh, we've uh, co-published with some other external people. Um, yeah, and, and I must say, while doing this, there were at least seven or eight occasions when I thought to myself damn, I wish I'd known about this article <laughs> when, when I did such and such a case, you know, because it would have been really useful to know. I didn't know about it. And I'm an editor of the publication. Um, and what, what I think makes the whole thing useful is that um, most people, I would imagine, don't have access to 70 years of the taxpayer. But by emailing info at um, they can get whatever it is that they want. Can be, can be emailed to them, so, so everything is, is accessible. Anyway, that's not what we had Thank to you. discuss today. That's just what you interrupted me reading <laughs> when, when, when your uh, visage appeared on the screen. I'm doing too much talking, Peter, you take it away.
1: I think, I think we're here to talk about a case,
0: and the case is the
1: Arena Holdings case that relates to yeah. disclosure of taxpayer information, which I thought is very interesting and very topical. Um, I think the judgment was handed down in November last year, November, and the case was basically, it was an application brought by the Financial Mail's holding company, and it challenged the constitutional validity of the prohibition on the disclosure of tax ban formation uh, in circumstances where the disclosure would show a substantial contravention of law and be in the public interest. And it was interesting. The fact is basically about uh, the Financial Mail trying to get the tax records of Jacob Zuma, and they claimed that he hadn't submitted tax returns for the first seven years of his presidency. And also that there were substantial fringe benefits tax owing in respect of the refurbishment of Nkandla and various other payments. So the Financial Mail basically wanted to get their hands on Jacob Zuma's uh, tax records, and they weren't able to do so through the normal channels. So they went to the court to try and find a constitutional remedy and um, so, quite interesting because Section 32 of the Constitution provides for rights to access to information. So, that provides the framework for getting access to information. And then the Promotion of Access to Information Act, PIA, uh, was enacted in terms of Section 32. And PIA talks about various disclosures. And, for example, it says that access must be given by a public body, for example, SARS, to a record held by it when requested and information must be given to the person requesting it. So um, there's a prohibition if somebody other than the person requesting it um, gets the information. So um, there's also, Pi is also quite interesting. It's got what's called a public interest override where it says um, there must be a disclosure of information if it's in the public interest and if it shows a substantial contravention of law. So Trevor, that's quite interesting because that sort of takes us directly into the applicant's case. That's what they were arguing, that there is a substantial contravention of law and it's in the public interest. The problem with using PIA is that PIA excludes taxpayer information. So it says this public interest override doesn't apply in respect of taxpayer information. So it specifically excludes taxpayer information. So then you have to go to the TAA, the Tax Administration Act, to work out what taxpayer information is. And that's very broadly sort of any information in relation to a taxpayer that SARS has and that they've got either from that person or from anyone else. So any information that SARS has about you or, I or anyone else, that's taxpayer information. And uh, the TAA basically says that a SARS official must, prevert, must preserve the secrecy of taxpayer information and can only give it to another SARS official. They can't disclose it to the public. They can't disclose it to somebody who's not a sales official. A couple of exceptions to that, but very limited exceptions. So, you know, for me, it's quite interesting that in terms of our law, there's no basis for tax records of Jacob Zuma or anyone else to be provided to the financial mail or any other person. So I think the law is pretty clear. And so the financial mail had to come And basically say hang on but that's constitutionally invalid so it was a constitutional challenge to the existing law as it stands and you know the court held that there's a sort of a tension between the provisions of the constitution on the one hand and then PIA and the taa on the other and it held that just reading from it it says once the balance of competing rights tilts in favor of sars the declaration of constitutional invalidity must follow and conversely, if the balance tilts in favour of SARS, the statutory provisions must be left intact. So they say, you know, you need to say, we see which way the balance tilts. I don't know what your sense and of that is, Trevor.
0: No, and the, and the, the, the competing uh, um, uh, interests were, in terms of the Constitution as well, were the right to privacy and the right to dignity. So that those those are also rights protected by the Bill of Rights. And so that competes with the right to, to information and the right to publish. Um, and, and we have yet to find out what the constitutional court will have to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's,
1: it's heading there, isn't it? It's heading there. And yeah. it's interesting because you know, SARS argument was that confidentiality is what the taxpayer gets in return for the compulsion to provide information to SARS. So SARS argued that without the guarantee of confidentiality, um, taxpayers won't be candid with SARS. They won't give all of the information that SARS requires to SARS. So that, so that was their argument: is that it's sort of it's a quid pro quo. If you, the taxpayer, tell us all your private information, we'll look after it and we'll keep it secret and we won't disclose it to to other persons. So you know that was SARS's argument.
0: Uh... Now, uh, let me ask you a question. I genuinely don't know the answer to this. What do you think about it? (laughs) (laughs) Which way do you think a court should go? (laughs) I have quite a sense of of
1: I have a kind of a sense of, you know, and we've grown up, Trevor, as tax practitioners, so to, to me, taxpayer information is sacrosanct. And I think that once you provide it to to SARS and they have it, you know, I don't think it should be disclosed to to third parties. And uh, you know, I don't think this public interest override should should interfere with that. You know, I think it should be a a, a principle that stands on its own and is not subject to exception. And um, you know, and I think that's kind of just the way that we've grown up. And and often when you talk to taxpayers they take a lot of comfort from that and the fact that the information is is safeguarded if you like and can't be bandied around um, and, and yes it's a limited exception because there has to be public interest and has to be a contravention of law but you know I, my, my instincts are not really in favor of it um, and and especially because the the law i think on this is clear so if the law is clear then it's clear yeah. you know the, the the legislature has spoken why well, I, well, I try to go to the constitution so no. But, I, but it's, yeah you know, it's an unbalanced view, Trevor. It's an instinctive view, I think.
0: I'm, I'm happy to say I agree with you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and partly my, my thing about it is what, what lies, you know, the real motivation that lies behind this application is political. You know, one way of having a go at some politician that you don't like is to try and force them to disclose um, information, which you say there, there might be irregularities and things like that. You know, and one, one remembers when uh, Donald Trump was president of the United States, a lot of people didn't like him. They wanted to have a go at him to disclose his tax returns. Um, but it, 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 behind that is politics. It's not, and, you know, and I don't think a taxpayer's, what the Act calls taxpayer information, it should be a, a political football to be kicked around. Um, I seem to remember sometime mm-hmm. in, in the past that one, one of our controversial politicians um that there was talk about that person's tax affairs and you know i'm by no means a supporter of that person whatsoever but i really felt it was wrong just to bring tax into it you know that's to me that's a low blow
1: and an interesting point is because the court rejected sars's argument about this quid pro quo because it said you know, if 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 SARS gives taxpayer information, or rather taxpayers give information because if they don't give information, then they're subject to criminal sanctions. So it's not because it can't be disclosed, it's because they're scared of the criminal sanctions of not fully disclosing with the disclosure requirements or complying with the disclosure requirements. So that was you know so that was the kind of the court's perspective. I also am not sure that that's the reason why taxpayers' information should be confidential. Uh, you know, I think it goes further than that. I think it's not, it's not linked to the fact that taxpayers will only fully disclose if they know the information is not going further than SARS. I think it's a wider
0: point than that. I agree, I agree. And just, just listening to your talk reminds me, of, you know, in a recent issue of the taxpayer, um, there was reference to the oil well case, which is a case dealing with exchange control. And uh, Haram's JA made the point in that case that that where legislation imposes either criminal or administrative penalties, it must be interpreted restrictively. Now, I don't know what restrictively means in this context, but I would think a conservative, you know, why, why must SARS officials run the gauntlet, as, as I think you just said. Um, they're entitled to interpret it restrictively because yeah. they're under threat of committing a, a criminal offence. Which I have to say, I've noticed in the past. Um, certain taxpayers' tax affairs have been uh broadcast on the front page of weekend newspapers. <laughs> not not every every week, but it has happened. And the prohibition if I remember correctly, applies not just to SARS not being able to do it, but anyone who receives information from SARS, they, they also commit an offence if they publish that information to the public generally. I was
1: going to come on to that, Trevor, because you know I think often we see letters addressed to taxpayer clients of ours from SARS and they contain information relating to other taxpayers yeah. So, there's often a sort of an instinctive response from our clients and saying, But hang on, why well, am I hearing about some other taxpayers' affairs in this letter that's being written to me? I didn't know about any of that stuff. The ABSA case that we talked about that was taken on review successfully, uh, yeah. you know, sort of, I think, includes that because ABSA was at the end of a chain of companies and didn't know what was going on in respect of the other companies that related to a third party bank. And ABSU were told about the activities and tax information of those other parties from SARS. And I think, as I say, there are limited exceptions where SARS can reveal taxpayer information. And one of them is where it's necessary for the relevant taxpayer to understand the questions SARS is asking. Yeah. But I think sometimes there is a, at least a question around this confidentiality
0: of information and whether it's being complied you know, with. And- I, think, I think there's a judgment of Judge Corbett On that point, from memory, um, Commissioner for Inland Revenue versus Lowe case with tax avoidance, because often that would happen in a tax avoidance context, as you say with ABSA. You know, there'd be other parties involved, and uh, you know, I think Corbett warned against um, violating the the um, taxpayer confidentiality provision. Um, So I was also
1: raised the question of DTAs, because DTAs are brought into our domestic law, and DTAs have certain uh, prohibitions against uh, disclosing information, except through certain channels that the DTA kind of specifies. So so I said, but hang on, if we open the gates to this public um, interest override, does that apply to DTA information as well? Because we have separate obligations in terms of our double tax agreements with other jurisdictions. And we won't be in compliance with those obligations if we start revealing that information outside of the DTA framework. So the the court sort of didn't really deal with that. It just said, well, maybe that won't be in the public interest. So it's, you know, bring in the public interest override and then say that it doesn't apply in respect to the DTA information, but it didn't really deal with that aspect.
0: Yeah. But the the judge in the the Arena case that we're talking about, uh, Judge Davis, so it's not... uh, Dennis Davis, who's now retired, it's, it's Judge Norman Davis in, in um, Victoria, but he, he was in favor of the applicants. He, he, he yeah. held that, that you've got to read something into, I think it's section 69 of the Tax Administration Act, uh, but of course it, it has to be submitted to the, to the um, constitutional Court to be confirmed. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, he held that the limitations on the access to information are not justified. And that the public interest override is justified that was his finding and the order of the court was that the relevant provisions of PIA are unconstitutional to the extent that firstly they only allow access to the tax records of the person requesting them secondly they don't allow access to the tax records which which meet the public interest override and thirdly that they don't allow a person who gets the information to disseminate it to another person so On three grounds, he held that um, PIA was unconstitutional, and the declarations of invalidity were suspended for a period of two years in order to enable Parliament to rectify these defects. And then, pending the defects, he basically ordered that the records be um, produced and and handed over to the Financial Mail. So found very strongly in favour of the applicant in this case. Um, and Sars applied
0: for leave to appeal. So yeah. Um, as, as part of the hearing, I'm, I'm just looking on my iPad for the, the end of the case. Um, uh, the declarations of invalidity in paragraphs one and two are suspended for a period of two years from the date of this order to enable Parliament to correct the relevant defects. Yeah. And then presumably the matter will, will go to the Constitutional Court in that time. I think it will, but it's interesting that he actually
1: said that and they need to, those tax returns for the 2010 2018 needed to be handed over and provided to the applicant within 10 days of the order. 10
0: days, yeah. Um, and then SARS applied for leave to appeal. So that's oh, And, really that, and, plan that, plan and that's that's not suspended for, for two years. It's only yeah. the declaration of invalidity.
1: So, but, due to they, and But can they publish it? it? That's what I'm thinking. I don't think so because I think of the, the fact that they applied yeah. for leave to appeal, I think suspends that. Right. So, no, 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 um,
0: yeah,
1: no. no you, but that's obviously that's right. Yeah. I don't know what your sense is. Trevor, do you want to wager uh, 10 Rand on this being overturned on appeal? Uh, I'm prepared to put more than 10 Rand on that. <laughs> but I think we, we're both on the same side of the bet, so that's our problem.
0: That's just a problem. I yeah. think it,
1: my sense uh, is that it will be overturned, but who you knows? So.
0: No, I, I'm inclined to agree. And if, if I mean, I reread the public prosecutor versus um, SARS case this morning. And that also seemed, you know, that there were other complications there. The public prosecutor was uh, had, had subpoenaed, also uh, former President Zuma, as, as a witness and um, claimed that that overrode uh, the, the secrecy provisions, her, her powers under the Constitution. Uh, she said that her powers were umbilically linked to the to the constitution and the court was not with her but but the facts they were different and the provisions were different so it's it's not directly in point you know just i'm only making this connection now while i'm talking to you but um, i was looking at a thing this morning i'm involved in a matter where uh, a taxpayer corporate taxpayer um, had not paid paye on certain fringe benefits given to employees they discovered their error they did a vdp and the tax has now been paid and now they want to recover the tax which the act entitles them to do from the taxpayer so they've sued the sued the tax issued summons against the taxpayer and the taxpayer has now requested uh, copies of relevant information including the vdp application and and supporting documents. And the, the problem is that the, the VDP application doesn't just deal with a one taxpayer, it deals with a number of taxpayers. And so they want to give a redacted version of the VDP application, you know, redacting information which applies to other. Now they haven't received that from SARS. They actually gave the information to SARS. But it just seems to me that the same sort of consideration should apply, you know, that. Other taxpayers wouldn't like their details of their salaries, et etc., to be bandied about um, in, in, in a public arena. So, but may, may, maybe I'm just generally speaking in favour of secrecy. But I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. And the I problem is, you know, if 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 uh, if the judgment of Davis J. was 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 upheld, where do you draw the line? You know, so you can say, okay, the president of the country. Is a public figure, so his affairs are in the public interest. Uh, but then they'll start start testing the boundaries, and where's 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 it going to end?
1: Mm. And I think what sort of
0: you know irks me
1: a little bit, as sort of a tax lawyer, is just that the law on this is clear for once, yeah. not once. But the law is clear yeah. that you cannot provide the taxpayer information in this case to the Financial Mail. They're not entitled to it. The public yeah. interest override in PIA specifically doesn't apply in respect of taxpay information. Yeah. And this is almost a way around that to say, well, oh, well, let's go to the Constitution, because that's, you know, doesn't one always say that when you run out of other legal arguments, you kind of try and raise a constitutional point. So I think that's sort of, you know, one of my sort of aspects that sort of irks me a little bit that the, as I said, the law is, is clear on this and, and the financial law is not entitled to it. And, and your point, Trevor, that it's, you know, it, it goes to sort of the banding around of taxpayer information, which is, which is you know, by its nature confidential. And you can yeah. say, okay, well, it's subject to public interest. But when is, you know, you get into a debate around what public interest is and also a debate around what a substantial contravention of law is, you know. And you, I don't think you want to be in that. Yeah. That's, for me, slightly quick quicksand territory that um, yeah. you don't want to yeah. be there. You want to have a very clear principle with no exclusions. Yeah. Um,
0: and another thought, a- sorry, and another thought just occurring to me now are uh, the tax court proceedings are secret. So that kind of goes together, you know. Why, 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 why is that the case? So we have a culture in this country that, that um, certain things are are as are between the taxpayer and SARS, and you know, other party can appeal it further, and then it becomes public knowledge. But certainly initially, it's not public knowledge.
1: And I think that's exactly, it's articulated the point I was trying to earlier saying, that's the way that we've grown up sort of as tax lawyers. That's Principle I think is important to us here, because it it cuts through a lot more than just these provisions. It goes to the tax court, et cetera. And it also, you know, we're in an environment where tax tax disclosure is becoming talked about more and more. And I'm talking about disclosure by taxpayers or about taxpayers to SARS and to the revenue officials around the world. And this, to me, undermines that because if people say, of course, my information must go to SARS. If I've got an offshore trust, which I haven't, uh, if I had an offshore trust, then SARS should know about it and they should know what's in it and they should know about how it's funded and they should know about the income. But as soon as you, you say that, then I think there's more of an onus on SARS to keep it confidential because there's a lot, there's a lot about that, that, besides just being a taxpayer, that's no one else's business. So I think that the world sort of, you know, going to this stage of massive multinational disclosure through CRS and FATCA and DTAs and Section 46 and, 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 uh, it, there's more of an onus on size to keep that taxpayer information confidential as far as I'm concerned than if you're just telling them what you earn as a salary. You're telling them very sensitive information around, you know, your, your, your activities, your family's activities And there's enough of a privacy debate as it is um, around keeping information private. And to me, it sort of ties into that bigger discussion around the privacy of information if you really want to extrapolate. Um, It's got nothing to do with other people and a lot of this information. So that's where my head is.
0: I I agree. I I was listening to something this morning and I'm going off at a tangent now, but about um, the way... Governments are not candid with, with their voters. Uh, and I don't know if this information is correct, but the person concerned was saying that someone approached the United States Supreme Court f- for disclosure of, of uh, what the funds that were made available by the Federal Reserve Bank after the 2008 crisis. And what was known previously was that $5.5 trillion was made available to various American institutions but the, the Supreme Court found in favor of the people requesting the information. Turned out the Fed made $29 trillion available sure. including other governments etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know that information had been withheld from the population. So that's a totally different discussion to what we're talking about here and let's not go any further there. But I mean it you know, there's some privacy which is not good, and there's other privacy which is good. And and what we're talking about this evening, I think, is it's essential. I think so. Yeah. So we've decided, we just need the course to decide as well. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, perhaps we should offer to write the judge. We'll
1: <laughs> <laughs> we will speak again on this topic, no doubt.
0: Yeah. Um, can I mention one thing in, in conclusion, just uh, again? Uh, to do with the Constitutional Court. I was involved in a matter, um, it's a reported judgment to invest financial services as a VAT case. And the taxpayer applied for leave to appeal to the Constitutional Court. And the registrar issued a notice mentioned, uh, you know, it said quorum and named nine judges. So nine judges took this decision. Although I'm sure it's just a, a few judges who look, look at those applications, but the nine judges made the decision. And they simply said that uh, uh, the, the, I don't have the wording in front of me, but that the, the, uh, the application did not engage the jurisdiction of the court. So if you ask, what, so leave to appeal to the constitutional court was refused. So if you ask the question, why was leave to appeal to the constitutional court refused? The, answer, the only answer one can give is because it didn't entertain the, the jurisdiction of the Constitutional Court, which to me simply raises the question why didn't it engage the, con- the jurisdiction of the Constitutional Court? Not a word about that. Uh, and and there, w- there was, in my opinion, a constitutional issue. And you know, no, I don't, uh, maybe that I'm not suggesting the judgment is necessarily wrong, but surely as taxpayers or as citizens, we're entitled to reasons. They don't have to be, I know it's only an application for leave to appeal. And, you know, you wouldn't write a 20 page judgment about, about the, re- the reasons for it, but half a page would help. You know, just, you know, and that would guide other taxpayers because, you know, the big G case dealing with section 24C and the clicks case also dealing with 24C, those were allowed. This case, I would have thought was, it did have a constitutional issue. The judge relied on an explanatory memorandum. If you remember what was held in Marshall's case in relation to practice notes, raised that issue, but anyway, mm. a little bit of a rant. Mm. <laughs> um, let's let's hope for good decisions from the Constitutional Court. <laughs> that's,
1: that's a good introduction and,
0: and, to 2022. <laughs> indeed, it is. Yeah. Well, not, not for me to say, but uh, <laughs> uh, but and good judgments mean good reasons to be given. I agree. Because it's always a matter of opinion whether reasons are good or not. And that's, that's why we bother to have these discussions. But, uh, but at least some reasons would be helpful. Mm. So as the uh, new year got off to a good start, Peter. We're in yeah, February, say, so can you believe yeah, it? We <laughs> are,
1: and looking forward yeah. to many more podcasts as well. Trevor. So yeah, oh, that's great. a lot of okay, nice, the, nice keep, discussion.
0: Yeah, we'll keep the fun going well thanks a lot eh? thanks very much always nice to see you
1: yeah you too
0: bye-bye